Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? I want to begin the prayer time by reading from um, the end of Paul's letter to Timothy. Please hear the word of the Lord as we pray. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and for which you were, have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Lord God, we're here today because we do want to fight the good fight of faith. We realize that none of us knows how long we have to fight that fight. It may be days, months, years, decades. We hope for a long life, but we really don't know. And Lord, as we've begun this new year, 2009, and as we've thought about the way we want to live this year, thank you for this season of looking at our lives and saying, how is it that we can live a no-regrets life? And Lord, we realize that the best life possible is the life that you give, Jesus. You've promised us abundant life, rich life, full life, here and now. And Lord, we recommit ourselves in this hour to listening to your word and to seeking that life which you came to give. Father, as we look outside the walls of this building, this sanctuary, we realize that in here we can find peace and it's good to be with our sisters and brothers. But outside, wow. There are temptations, there are troubles, there are trials. Our world, even as Scripture says, is groaning. It's in pain, and we feel that pain. Lord, help us not to be people who despair or get down because of the news. Help us to be your children of hope and light. And so we pray that when we go forth from here in just a few moments, we might radiate the presence of Christ, that we would be so filled with you, it would just bubble over as we go out into the world and touch others. Father, we pray for our world. We pray for the Congress. We pray for the President. All those who are making such huge decisions right now, would you guide them, Lord, and help them, not only that our country may be helped, but that we may be a blessing to others. We continue to thank you for the peace at this moment in Gaza. We pray, God, that uh, the government there would step forth and uh, do what they need to do so the U.N. can give supplies again. We, we lift up that special region of the world, Lord, but we're aware of so many other areas that need your touch and need peace and care. And we want to do what we can, Lord, so show us the way and help us to reach out in all the ways that we can. Thank you for these stories we've heard, Lord, of how you are working in people's lives and how they desire to reach out and use their gifts and give to others. Uh, help us to do that as well. Bless these moments, Lord. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, good morning, and thank you so much for moving up. I really appreciate it. It, it blesses me, and you have no idea how much it blesses me, so uh, I really appreciate that. Also, uh, we're wrapping up, as you know, this series called uh, One Month to Live or uh, Living a No Regrets Life, and uh, I've really enjoyed this. I hope you have. But next week, we're going to be on to something else, and so as you can see in this little worship folder... Uh, I'm saying this to ask for prayer. We're going to begin a series on the miracles of Jesus. And between now and Easter, uh, we're going to take a different miracle from the gospel each Sunday and look at that miracle and not only see what happened in the life of Jesus and in the context of the miracle, but say, okay, so what? What's it have to do with me now? And uh, so pray for me and look forward to seeing you back next Sunday. I'm ta calling this series Looking Up in Down Times. And I think the Lord is going to say something to us. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. 
and uh, I pray God's blessing upon us. I would ask you to find this uh, handout, if you would, the outline of where we're going today uh, as we begin. A man was uh, back at the doctor after a series of tests. He was going to get the results, and the doctor said, well, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. And the guy said, well, give me the good news first. And the doctor said, well, the good news is we found out exactly what's wrong with you. You've only got 24 hours to live. And the guy said, well, is that the bad news or the good news? And the doctor said, no, that's the good news. The bad news is I got the test back yesterday, but I forgot to call you. (laughs) Uh, Well, we've been asking the question... If you only had one month to live, we're not condensing it to 24 hours, if you only had one month to live, what would you change in your life? Now, I am suspicious that some of you have been irritated by the question, but that's okay. I don't mind irritating you, so I'm okay with that. But as you think about that question, our question is not to irritate anybody. It's really to help us say, what's in my life that's good? And what's in my life that's not good? Am I really living the kind of life I want to be living so that whenever the end comes, and the end does come, I can say, I lived a no-regrets life. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing to look back and say, you know, there are very few things I'd change about my life if I had it to do over. That's really what's motivating us as we begin this new year. Now, you saw the video. Kuma is a a man who's uh, been in our church before. He's visiting here from India for about a year. He's studying over at Fuller. He's writing. He's been serving the Lord all his life. He and his wife were just a few blocks from here, walking across the street on the way to the grocery store a few weeks ago. And if you heard the video, he got hit by a car in the intersection. I mean, he was doing the right thing, but a car hit. He and his wife knocked him to the ground. You could see his arm in a cast and her leg in a cast. I simply bring that up to say we don't know what tomorrow may bring. Mark was sharing about his physical condition and the great relief he had last week when he got the news from the doctor that it wasn't more serious than it, as it could have been. Again, a story about uh, the things that can happen to us in life. Now, during this series, we've looked at four principles that marked the life of Jesus. He certainly lived an absolutely no-regrets life. And the first thing we talked about, and I'm going to review these principles with you very quickly, uh, that we've already looked at them, Jesus lived passionately. And he did that because he knew exactly what God wanted him to do, and he did that. He said, I always do the will of the Father. I do the will of him who sent me. So the question for us is, um, are we doing what God wants us to do? Am I living purposefully this moment? Do I know what God wants me to do, and am I doing that? And I encourage you to explore your purpose in life. What is your mission? What are you supposed to be doing? From the little things in terms of how you greet people today to the big things in terms of your overall gifting and purpose. Secondly, we talked about loving passionately. Jesus loved people. In fact, he loved you and me so much that he died on the cross for us so that we could have eternal life. He gave his life for us. That was his major mission in life. And he did it because he loved people. So the question is, are you living a life of love? Are you a loving person? We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. Thirdly, and I think I enjoyed this one the best, although it was the most difficult sermon for me in this series, was learn humbly. How many of you are really humble? 
Well, it's a tough one to answer, isn't it? Remember, we talked about the fact Jesus said, I am humble. Jesus said of himself, I am humble. Come to me, for I am humble, and you can learn from me. But remember, we had that little game we played. I had you turn to your neighbor and say, I've got it. And your neighbor said what? No, you don't. Because the minute we think we've got it, we don't. So we talked about humility. We talked about pride, how to get rid of pride because it will pervert us. But I said to you at that time, living humbly is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking about yourself at all. And we wrestled with what does it mean to live humbly. And then last week, Eddie challenged us about leaving boldly. And I was glad that none of you got up and left boldly in the middle of the service. But uh, he talked about legacy. What will we leave behind? What are folks going to be talking about us when we're gone? And he emphasized that idea of legacy. Now, this morning, I want to use the little word life, L-I-F-E, and talk about four more things that are are or could be in your life if you're living a life of no regrets. These are big things. And I'm thinking about puzzles today. How many of you, maybe I should ask it this way, does anybody here like to do puzzles? I'm going to put my hand down. Uh, but some of you do. I should have called you during the week. We have a picture of our church. We're going to put it up here. And this is a painting. In fact, uh, Jackie in, from, in our office did this painting a few months ago. Remember, for our 125th anniversary, the painting's hanging out in the foyer if you want to look at it. But this is a picture of the painting. And... Um, We had that changed into a puzzle. You know, the Internet's an amazing thing. You can send off your picture, and it'll be sent back to you as a puzzle. And I have this puzzle right here. Guess who got to put it together this week? My wife got this all set up. Uh, Joyce, I helped, right? We labored. My wife got this all set up. We ordered this 250-piece puzzle. It's, It's very small, 10 by 14 inches. And I, she said, you know, we need to get started on this. We've had it for weeks. I said, no, how long, how hard could it be? 250 pieces. You know, just take us an hour or something or a half hour. We'll just throw it together. Oh, my goodness. So all I've done this weekend is put together a puzzle. And I'm not a puzzle person. But um, we're going to say more about the puzzle in a moment. But as you think of life, a puzzle's not a bad metaphor or analogy, is it? Uh, we put the pieces of our life together. Life can be a puzzle. And this morning, I'm going to talk about four pieces that really ought to be in all our lives. And I'm going to ask you at the end, are these pieces in your life? And then I'm actually going to have you take home a piece of this puzzle, but that's a little later on. Uh, so let's begin. The L, of course, stands for love, L-I-F-E. Uh, one of the pieces in our puzzle, if we're going to live a no-regrets life, would be the piece called love. Now, you've heard lots of sermons on love. And I don't really want to put you to sleep right now, but let me just review so that uh, you are reminded with me of what the Bible says about love. Just very quickly, bullet points. Jesus, of course, said there are two great commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. We've been talking about this for a year now. Uh, That was our theme last year. Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. Paul said, and in uh, the video, I think Deneva mentioned gifts, Paul said, you all have gifts. Every person is gifted. And what are some of the gifts? In fact, give me a little feedback. What are some of the gifts that people are given? You may have it or you may not, but just what are some gifts? Teaching. Training. Administration. Giving. Say it again, Rachel. Giving. The ushers come forward. Now, no, that's just one kind of giving. Uh, What else? Hospitality, a huge gift. Service, another gift, the gift of helps, the gift of mercy. 
When Paul wrapped up the great love chapter, he said there are three great gifts. What were they? Faith, Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So again, this, this puzzle piece called love, none of us can escape it. We are all to be lovers. James, in his writing, said the royal law is to love your neighbor. He called it the royal law. Now, um, here's what I'd like to do. Listen carefully. I'll try to give clear instructions. Uh, some of us have been Christians a short time, some a long time. If you have been a committed follower of Jesus, that is, that you accepted Christ into your life ten years ago or more, I'd like you to stand. So you would say, I'm a Christ follower for ten years or longer. Would you stand? You followed Christ for ten years or more. Okay? Now, remain standing. I'm going to go to the figure 20. So if you've been following Christ for 20 years or less, please sit down. 20 years or more, stay up. Okay? Good. Now let's go to 30. Same thing. If you followed Christ for 30 years or less, you may be seated. If 30 years or more, you may stand. Okay? Now we're going to 40. You followed Christ for 40 years or more, remain standing. If not, sit down. Okay, we're going to 50. If you followed Christ for 50 years or more, keep, stay standing. Okay, look around, folks. That's great, huh? Now let's go to 60. You'd say, I've been a Christ follower for 60 years or longer. All right, fabulous. We're going to 70. 70 years or longer that you've been a Christ follower. Wow. We're going to 80. 80 years or longer you've been a Christ follower. Dr. Holder standing. Doris Krause is standing. Yeah, amen. Is that something? Thank you. Wow. Thank you. You may be seated. That is amazing, isn't it? Now, there's lots of things we could say about that, but if you're sitting here and you're a younger person, uh, you, you hear the word saints. It's a word we use in church. Nobody else uses it except for the New Orleans. Um, you'll catch that later. Um, there are some saints around you, some folks It wouldn't be a bad idea to get to know because... Uh, they've really lived for Christ a long time, 80-plus years. Is that something? <laughs> um, now, I most of all want to speak to you have, who have been Christians the longest. And uh, I'm going to ask you a couple questions here, and I'm going to apply it in a couple of ways. Uh, my question is, have you lost your luster? Have you lost your luster? Two explanations. Uh, I like cars, and uh, I was thinking back to some old cars I've had, uh, Bill Woods has an old car here. His cars have lost their luster. I can tell you I've seen them. The paint's faded. I think they're beyond polish. But if you've ever had an old car that's gotten dull, it doesn't shine anymore, if you get some rubbing compound or some kind of product from Pep Boys and you polish it, what happens? If it's a red car, the rag turns red. And what happens? It begins to shine. The luster comes back. Now, you can say the same thing about silver. Some of you ladies have probably done, not done cars, but uh, this is an heirloom from my family. My uh, grandmother on my, mother, on my dad's side had this in Glendale, and my mom passed it on to us. And you can see down here it's lost its luster. This is silver, but it doesn't shine so well. Why not? Well, because it lost its luster. It needs polish. Now, Joyce kindly polished the top part here, and the luster came back. It, it began to shine again. 
Now, why am I talking about losing your luster? Because the reality is, it's easy. When you first meet Christ, you're excited. You say, my sins are forgiven. I feel free. I'm great. You know, and you're just kind of walking on cloud nine. You shine. In fact, you may shine so brightly, you knock people's eyes out. They say, go away. You know, you're, you're just too up on Jesus. But the longer you're a Christian, what happens? You might lose your luster. Heard that sermon before, heard all the sermons on love, heard the sermons on gift, heard the sermons on anything. And the shine is lost. Now, here's what John wrote, and he was following Christ for many years, maybe 88 decades. And he said this, he was writing to a church, he was writing to folks like us, and he said in the Revelation, You have forsaken your first love. Remember the heights from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Wow. Now, I'm just asking you this morning, as you live a no-regrets life, a key puzzle piece in that life is to love. And it begins by loving God. Do you still passionately love God? Do you still love others? I'm not saying, do do you know Jesus? Of course you do. But do you love Him? You remember how you used to love Him? And shouldn't you keep on loving Him like that? So that's the first piece of the puzzle. A no-regrets life is a life of love. You've got to have that peace. Secondly, the I stands for what? The I stands for integrity. Hans, would you bring that uh, thing up here for me? The I stands for integrity. Now, if you love the Lord like an angel on Sunday and you live like the devil on Monday, you don't have integrity. If you confess your sins in church and cuss with your friends at work, you do not have integrity. If you lift up your hands in worship in praise and you use your hands to hurt people during the week, you don't have integrity. If you give to God on Sunday, but you cheat your neighbor on Friday, you don't have integrity. Integrity integrity is wholeness. It's soundness. It it means what is on the outside is on the inside. That's integrity. Now, in the... The scripture that we have, this is from Mark chapter 12, verse uh, 30. Would someone read this familiar passage? I'm going to draw. You, somebody just read it real loudly. Thank you. Good job. Now, as you look at that, as you look at that uh, point in the sermon here, You've got this on your handout. I want you to circle or underline the word all occurs how many times in this verse? Four. Thank you. So circle or underline the word all. Uh, It's talking about integrity here in one sense. Now, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Aren't you glad you set up and could see this? Uh, When you think of the heart, you think of your emotions, And so the question is, are you loving God with all your heart? Do you emotionally love God? Now, uh, I think God thinks have changed over the years, but uh, sometimes we've said, you know, Baptists were baptized in vinegar. You know, they're just sour and grumpy. Well, that's, that's the wrong kind of emotion. Now, I don't think we're worried here in a Baptist church about anybody running down the aisles and hooping it up, but... Friends, from from my perspective, we need more emotion in worship. We are to love God emotionally. He says, with all your heart. 
And so if lifting my hands helps me emotionally love God, closing my eyes, singing out loudly, you know, in joining in, how do you love God emotionally with your heart? See, that's part of integrity. Now, the other thing he said, love God with your mind. I'm going to put the word head in here because they both have H and preachers like that. Um, Or you could say your thoughts. Do you love God with your head or with your mind or with your thoughts? Now, this is an interesting one. Um, you love your God with your heart. You love God with your mind and your, your thoughts. I'm sure this would never happen to you because you're all Christians. But uh, let's say I'm on Colorado Boulevard in the hottest day of July or August, and I'm watching the parade of beautiful people go by. And there's a beautiful young lady going by, and she... Uh, She's just sensual, beautiful. Not uh, she's well dressed, but not m- m- not with much. Do you get the idea, or should I go on? I think I need to go on. Some folks are just their mouths are open. Anyhow, so I see this beautiful person going by. Is it wrong to see her, or if you're you know maybe him, depending on your gender here? Is it wrong to see that beautiful person, even if they're provocative and sensual? Is it wrong for me to see them? You can't help it. That's not wrong. The problem is what I do in my head, isn't it? My thoughts. So let me ask you about your thought life. Whoo! Your fantasy life. Because you see, that's what God is talking about when he says, love God with all your head, with all your mind. What about your thought life? Do you control it? Paul wrote these words, 2 Corinthians 10.5. He said, we, not just him, we Christians, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Really? We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ? Wow, that would be integrity. If I just don't have bad thoughts anymore. That is possible, you know to bring your thoughts under the will of God and into the will of God. So that's a, that has to do with integrity as well. And then um, he talks about the soul. And we might put down the word here. We'll put soul here. Or your spirit, we could say. And that's the spiritual part of you. You love God with your soul, with your spirit. And that's probably where we go. That's probably the easiest one for us to think about. Love God with all your soul or all your spirit. The psalmist said in Psalm 42, As the deer pants for the streams of water, get the image of a hot day, a thirsty deer comes upon a stream. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Wow. I long for God. That's pretty powerful. My spiritual longing. Uh, Jesus himself said, Blessed are those who, what? Hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's integrity. I want to be righteous. I want to be like God. That's integrity. And we have one more word. What is it? Strength. Your physical self. Love God with all your strength. The Bible says in Colossians, to Paul writing, he said, To this end I labor, struggling with all God's energy, which so powerfully works at me. Is God's energy working powerfully in you? That's the question. Now, as you look at these, your emotions, your head, your mind, your soul, your spirit, your strength, your physical energy, is that integrated into the person God wants you to be? I'm hitting on all four cylinders here. I'm loving God this way. 
uh, how about your life? So a no-regrets life is a person who lives with integrity. My thought life has integrity. My worship has integrity. I use my hands to do what God wants my hands to do. Big challenge, isn't it? Integrity. Big challenge. But if you're going to live a life of no regrets, you're going to be a person who has integrity. Now, the F stands for forgiveness. Forgiveness. The Bible says a person who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, but if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Now, sometimes when you're talking to a person who is not a Christ follower, they may say, you know, I'm doing well. I'm really not a sinner. I'm not making mistakes. Now, let's assume you live up to your own standard. That's a big assumption, I think. But let's assume you say, you know, I'm living up to my standard, so I don't need God. Let's say you even say, I'm living up to the standards that those around me have set. So I'm living up to my standards, the standards of others. I'm doing well. Okay. Are you living up to God's standards Isn't that the question for us? It's not about my standards. It's what does God expect for me? Who has God created me to be? That's the question. The Bible says in Romans 3, there's nobody living right, not even one. We've all sinned and come short of God's glory. You may meet your own glory or another's glory, but God's glory. So this morning, as we think about a no-regrets life, uh, it leads me to say, you and I need God's forgiveness. I need God's forgiveness. And I've written a little prayer that I'm going to ask us to pray in just a moment. Now, some of us have stood and we said, I've known the Lord five years, ten years, twenty years, eighty years. Uh, Yet we never stop needing the Lord's forgiveness. It may be that you're here for the first time and exploring Christianity. You're not sure about faith. I'd ask you to pray this prayer, if you're sincere, to open your life and say, God, I need your forgiveness. I need you to come into my life. And make me a new person on the inside so I can follow Christ, so I can live a no-regrets life. Here's the prayer, and I'm going to ask you to bow your head if you would. And if you're sincere about asking for forgiveness, then repeat after me. Dear God, we'll say this part together after I say it. I admit I have not lived right. I admit I have not lived right. I have not lived up to your dream for me. I have not lived up to your dream for me. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your forgiveness. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, come into my life and make me new on the inside. On the inside. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Amen. Now, I encourage us to pray that prayer of forgiveness because forgiveness starts by... With God, we receive God's forgiveness. So we get it, and then we can give it. It's tough to be a forgiving person if you haven't been forgiven. So you need to get it from God, and then you can give it to others. A no-regrets life is a life that includes forgiveness. Listen to Jesus' own words, serious words on this subject. If you forgive others when they sin against you, if you forgive others when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. That's why I say a no-regrets life includes forgiveness. Now, there's one more word, perhaps my favorite word here, the word enthusiasm. We looked at this earlier in one of the messages on living a no-regrets life. The word enthusiasm is made up of two simple words, in God. To be enthusiastic means to be in God. 
in theos, or to have God within you. Here are, there are lots of verses about being in God, but here are a couple just quickly. Jesus was talking to a person with trouble. He said, have faith in God. In Romans, Paul wrote, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Good, good word for today. Do not let your hearts be troubled. What's the solution? Trust in God. And you remember the story from Mary. She said, my soul rejoices in God, my Savior. So, are you living in God? Are you enthusiastic? Because the more you're in God, I think the more enthusiasm you're going to have. Um, I came across this story. There were three men who were working on a huge building laying bricks. And a guy came up to the first bricklayer and said, uh, you know, what on earth are you doing? What are you doing there? And the first bricklayer was very irritated and he snapped back and said, well, what's it look like I'm doing? I'm laying bricks. So he went on down to another bricklayer and he said, what are you doing? And the guy looked up and said, I'm making a living. What does it look like I'm doing? He walked up to yet another bricklayer and said to him, sir, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a cathedral. (laughs) Difference, isn't it? And this morning I want to ask you in your life, as you seek to live a no-regrets life, what are you doing? Now, let's, re- let's review. I hope that you'll uh, look at this handout because we've talked about eight things in these six weeks. We talked about Jesus lived passionately. He had a purpose. He knew what he was doing. He loved completely. He learned humbly, and he left boldly. Today, I've given you four other keys to this puzzle. And the first one was love. The second one was integrity. The third one was forgiveness. And the last one we just talked about was enthusiasm. Now, as you look over those eight things, what I'd like you to do, and I'm going to give you a moment of reflection, a chance to just think and listen to the Spirit of God. As you look over some of those, you're doing great in some of those areas. So give yourself a check mark. Just look at that and say, "That's thank you, Lord, for helping me to, to learn humbly, or whatever it is. But probably... And this is the second part of it. As you look over this list, I'm going to ask that the Spirit of God help you by speaking to you and saying, you know, here's one you need to to work on. Steve, look at this one. You need to add that to your life and make it a key part. So I'm going to ask you to think about that as you uh, worship the Lord and as we uh, continue to listen. Let God speak to you. What pieces of puzzle need to be added to your life? What pieces are there in doing well? Let my life, O Lord, praise you. What a fitting conclusion to this series of a no-regrets life.